0: newspaper since 1971.
1: What well, was time on the Ben Jaroszki Show as I speak? It's Friday, May 7, 2021. The headline in today's New York Times, I just picked this headline because it's going to be apropos to some of the things we talk about. Employers waiver about requiring vaccines for job, delicate balancing act, fearing, fearing privacy backlash. Some offer incentives to wary workers. Uh, They're afraid to make people get the shot that will help people. (laughs) We're in an interesting place, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, As I do with uh, all my bonus guests, I ask my distinguished guests to introduce themselves. But you know what? I'm not even going to do that again because this distinguished guest is on the show all the time. So I'm just going to say, yes, Rahman Hussein, the pride and joy of Miles West High School, the esteemed editor, And uh, columnist for my beloved Bright One, the Chicago Sun-Times, is joining us again. Welcome back, Romana.
2: Hi, how are you guys?
1: Well, actually, uh, we have some uh, not-so-pleasant news to discuss right off the top. So uh, let's get into it. Uh, So it's hard to say I'm doing great, and then we go into this, uh, uh, what's happening in India. And I know that uh, when I talked to you earlier today about what's on your mind, uh, India was very much on your mind. Uh, So give folks a little update on the latest news from India as they struggle with uh, the virus, um, another resurgence of the pandemic, which has obviously not ended uh, even as we're rejoicing and talking about uh, reopening. So uh, give us an update, Romana.
2: Yeah, it's it's pretty bad, the situation there. I mean, if you pick up, um, you know, Google India, um, look up any you know, major paper that covers international news. India is like in the headlines in terms of COVID. Um, it's really scary because, you know, me and a lot of my family friends who are Indian, we are all being touched by this. I mean, we've called our relatives and a lot of people have been, you know, have got the coronavirus. And now within the last week or so, um, I've been, you know, everybody's like sending texts to each other saying that I just lost my uncle. I just lost my cousin. My sister-in-law just lost a cousin this week, and he was only in his early 40s. And then, you know, my mom was giving condolences, calling someone um, yesterday, offering her condolences about someone's relative dying in India. And right in between that, she found out that one of her relatives, her cousin's wife, passed away. And this is someone that we know and saw in India, like, often. I was actually, just right before I got on the show, I was on the phone with one of my cousins trying to get the numbers of... The relatives who lost their mom. And so I can call them. So it's just been a disaster. I just think everybody that knows, um, someone in India or has relatives in India, which a lot of people in, in the United States who are Indian do, it's just touching all of us. And it's just really scary. Um, you know, just a couple of months ago, everybody was saying that they thought that India had reached herd immunity and the numbers were going down, but you know, the numbers might not have been, um, you know, reported accurately, or, you know, it could have just been a lull. And, you know, I I think maybe people were relaxed, maybe, you know, a lot of people are accusing the government, you know, I'm not a fan of the government there, but a lot of people are calling out the government there saying that, you know, they were getting really lax. And there was a lot of reporters, um, I follow a lot of Indian journalists and a lot of Indian people, um, personalities on Twitter, and, you know, people were, um, people were so desperate for oxygen, they were tweeting the request, like, can anybody help me? I need oxygen for my, you know, mother or my father who's really sick. And um, the government of India, if anybody was reporting about these things, they were having Facebook and Twitter take these requests down because they don't want their image to get ruined. So there's just a lot going on right now. And, um, you know, the pictures, if you look up any sort of pictures taken by um, international photographers or journalists, they're, they're just really sad. Just a lot of A lot of people, you know, going to funerals, a lot of dead bodies. Um, It's just it's just a really scary situation. And, you know, it makes you wonder. I mean, we're planning to open up like, you know, Governor Pritzker yesterday said that they are, you know, Illinois is planning to open up fully um, next month, which is a great thing. I mean, I'm someone Last week when the weather was nice, I mean, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I told my husband, I'm like, I have plans all three days. I went out to meet a friend on Monday, what ate on my mother's porch, but then I got cold on that Tuesday. And then Wednesday went out with like work friends. And so I'm like ready to go out. But I, I do think that we have to be cautious. It can't be something where we're all of a sudden back. I mean, I know everybody's saying it's going to be back to normal, but we can't completely be back to normal. And I'm vaccinated. I got I got my second shot last week. So within a with by next week, I should be fully vaccinated. Um, and So I'm excited about that. But you know, at the same time, I'm going to try to be courteous and wear my mask and try to do whatever I can. I don't I don't know if I'm going to be like, I don't know if people are people mostly in my circles. Um, I know my husband's a little more cautious than I am. I'm probably going to go out more. But you know, he said that he's still wary about going in crowds. I think it's okay if you're outside. But I don't know. I think I'm going to be a little more relaxed, but am I going to be 100% normal like it was pre-pandemic? Probably not. So yeah, it's the India stuff is really sad. And you know, every day, like I said, I'm hearing something. So it's, it's, it's just, it's just been kind of a downer the last couple of days.
1: Ramana, when you study uh, and you read about what's going on in India, you talk to a uh, family or friends uh, who are there, what sort of lessons are you learning that could apply to our country? The things that uh, the Indian government did did not do, or did wrong, or uh, uh, that you sense we may, in this country, make uh, some of the same mistakes?
2: Yeah, I think it's the, I think it's the enforcement of, you know, lockdown is, India is a very populated country. I think the population is over a billion, and there is a lot of poverty there. And, um, you know, I remember when they initially had a lockdown, there were so many people, laborers from like poor villages, you know, how are they supposed to socially distance when they go on trains back to their towns? And it was, it's, some of it's kind of impossible. Like it's very hard to social distance with that population. But, um, I think the government, there are some people that are trying, but enforcements of mass, I don't know if it was like all over the place. My brother-in-law was in India last, like maybe, maybe two, two or three months ago. And he said that, you know, people um, when they see a police officer, they put their masks on, but then they take it off and people are having events again. You know, you actually went back. His father had passed away and he went to go see his mom. Um, he didn't get to go to the funeral. So he once he got vaccinated, he was able to go. Um, and he's a physician. That's why he was vaccinated early. Just FYI. for Anybody wondering if he's you know, still vaccines. But um, he went and then, you know, he, you know, he had a family wedding at the time. So there are weddings going on right now. And, you know, Indian people, we're a very social group. <laughs> so our weddings aren't small, and it's probably hard to social distance. So I just think it's, I think it's just the government needs to like, you know, we we've had a hard time, you know, if Donald Trump was in power right now, I don't know if we'd be in the same position that we were are in right now than we were like when Donald Trump was president. I don't know if things would have been different. You know, there's, there's played, there's states where people are saying, you don't have to wear a mask and things like that. So I think it's just a combination of different factors. The government definitely like can do a lot. And so I've been reading just a lot of, you know, a lot about criticism over there. So I think we just need to learn. I mean, that this isn't a right, you know, this is something that we all need to do together. You know, people are talking about, I don't need to wear a mask. It's like violating my civil rights. Like, that kind of attitude needs to go and that we need to take this seriously, which is, I think, something that we did in our country in the beginning. And uh, some people still are doing it. And it's something that, you know, people don't take that seriously. And that I think that's what happened in India. And that that included the government not taking it as seriously as it should. And, you know, and then bragging about when the numbers went down, there were, I don't know what happened after the numbers went down, the quote unquote numbers, because, Even the numbers are reported of people who are dying in India. It's probably underreported because there are places in India that are very rural. There are probably people dying of COVID and don't know that they died of COVID. So whether they're in records or not. So it's just this bragging. I think the government's just started bragging about how wonderful they were after the numbers went down. And it's just I think we just need to be optimistic. But cautiously
1: optimistic. No, I see some parallels. I'm going to get into the attitudes people have, uh, toward, uh, the vaccine. I'd love to get your thoughts. i I told you I would read some of this stuff too, but just, um, I see parallels between, uh, the, the Modi regime's response, uh, and their reluctance to challenge large religious gatherings. And what we've seen in the United States of America, particularly with Trump. Uh, and I, I, I'm speaking for myself. I'm not speaking for Ramana Hussein. I blame Donald John Trump for so much of the situation we are in this country. The divisions in our country right now uh, when it comes to, well, just I'm going to say, put put all, er, all the other divisions to the side. The divisions in our country when it comes to approaching uh, COVID-19 and approaching the vaccine, I blame on Donald Trump. Uh, He took advantage of, what, distrust that people have in government, distrust that people have in medicine, distrust that people have in science, Ramon, this is me speaking, and try to use that for political gain and political advantage. And now we have a country which is so divided on the issue of things like, should you wear a mask? Should you uh, be required to do social distancing? Should you take the vaccine? Should you have to prove that you had the vaccine before you get on an airplane or go back to work? All these points uh, so I, uh, of uh, disagreement in our country and tension in our country. And I, I do believe that it starts at the top and that the message Donald Trump uh, promoted throughout mu- much of uh, the early stages of the pandemic was at best mixed and at worse um, it undercut the efforts to uh, protect us. So do you see, do you agree with me? Do you see some parallels between the two reactions?
2: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, they're buddies, right? So yeah, I do, I do, I do see parallels and you know, a lot of people, you know, we all think that, well, we're the United States. I mean, this is a illness or this, virus is doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're in a you know a, a quote unquote developed country or underdeveloped country. It's a serious virus and it's really contagious and there's different strains that are happening. And we don't know everything right now. I mean even my brother in law was saying like he got vaccinated earlier because because he was a physician as I mentioned. And he was even saying he's like, well just because I'm vaccinated it's been like four months now and he goes, you know, I know they say they can last up to six months, but just in case, like he goes, I still wear my mask when I'm inside and, you know, I want to be careful. And so it's like, we don't know that much about this virus. This is a new thing. So yeah, I mean, I think, I think everything that you said, um, hit the nail on the head, I think. So,
1: well, I'm going to share this. I, uh, usually are very critical about a New York times columnist named David Brooks, uh, he's, uh, let's, I'll, I'll, res, I'll, I'll restrain from criticizing David Brooks, but, uh, your husband, my dear friend, Mick dummies. I filled his ear so many times with, you wouldn't believe that. Yeah. Because Ramana, I say this, I try to read, be open-minded and read all these different columnists. I even read John Cass. It's <laughs> yeah. so I try to be open-minded. Maybe they, I can learn from some, you know, and usually I'm disappointed, but I got to give old Brooks credit. Uh, He was talking about the the reluctance of people in this country to get uh, vaccinated, and I'll just read to you um, some of the reasons, okay? Uh, So researchers and reporters who talk to the vaccine hesitant find that the levels of distrust, suspicion, and alienation that have marred politics are now thwarting the vaccination process. They find people who doubt the competence of the medical establishment or any establishment who assume as a matter of course that their fellow countrymen are out to con, deceive, and harm them. This, quote, the only person you can trust is yourself mentality, has a tendency to cause people to conceive of themselves as individuals and not as citizens. Derek Thompson of The Atlantic recently contacted more than a dozen people who were refusing to get the COVID-19 vaccine. They often used an argument you probably heard. I'm not especially vulnerable, I may have already gotten the virus. If I get it in the future, it won't be that bad. Why should I take a risk on the exper- experimental vaccine? They are reasoning mostly on a personal basis. In other words, uh, in other words, they're just thinking about what the vaccine—yes, what the vaccine could do to them—as opposed to thinking about if I don't get the disease, I won't pass it on to other people. You know, and that's selfishness. Yeah. Ramana has been here at the beginning. So many times I've heard a uh, MAGA saying, I don't care if I get it. If my cu- time comes, my time has come and I probably won't die anyway. And I'll just go to the hospital. I'm like, well, what about the care worker? Who's got to treat your dumb ass? Cause you won't take proper precautions. Your thoughts on all this.
2: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, I told you when I was getting my hair cut, um, the, the man who was cutting my hair, I was just trying to make small talk cause he was a hairdresser and I said, Hey, so you put, did you get the vaccine already? And he's like, no, I'm not getting the vaccine. And he's like, I want to have more kids. And he said something like, he said like, well, I don't know what the effect is going to be. You know, he's basically telling me he didn't know what the effect was going to be on fertility, but I said, but, and I, I was trying to be nice. This guy has a scissors to my head. So I, I said, basically, <laughs> I basically said, uh, well, you know, the thing is you can give it to someone else or someone who's elderly and you know, they're more vulnerable than you are. And then he's like, that's fine. I'm not going to give it to anyone. And he goes, what is it going to do? You're not, you're not going to protect anybody. And then I was just like, I, my, I told my mom, but my mom's like, you need someone else to cut your hair. So that's why I said your wife will cut my hair maybe next
1: Yeah. Time. No, you should go. You should definitely uh, get that so- guy. <laughs>
2: So yeah, I mean, I was listening to the reasoning, and it was just kind of like, yeah, okay, if you want to have more kids, I understand. I I understand, you know. And I honestly, I try to be like understanding about people's concern about the vaccine because, yeah, we don't know that much about it. But at the same time, I talk to a lot. I have a lot of friends who are like medical professionals and a lot of doctors, and they all—they're all of them. I don't—I haven't met one doctor who said this, but they say that the benefits outweigh the risks. So these are like people who are like experts. Um, you know, I'm not saying that you know doctors are all in, you know they're like infallible, but you know these are people who know more about this stuff than I do, and I would rather have the vaccine than me risk myself getting it and then giving it to someone else, especially someone elderly like my mom or someone else. I would feel so. I personally would feel really guilty if that I did something like that. So, I mean, I was like, I I, I don't understand this vaccine hesitancy because. I was one of those people who was like, if I can get an extra shot, I was asking all my friends who are doctors or people who know doctors, like, so if you have an extra vaccine, could you let me know? And um, my husband, Mick, was telling me, no, we'll wait our turn. And I said, I am going to wait my turn, but I'm just saying if there's going to be vaccines going away, someone I want to take it. So I was like, I was like, it was like concert tickets to me. I wanted it done. I I wanted to get them. (laughs) I wanted to get the shots as soon as possible. So yeah, that's like, the vaccine hesitancy is something that's very foreign to me. I Like I said, I understand it in certain partic- particular communities, but at the same time, I, I I would rather get the vaccine than not have it.
1: Actually, I don't understand it anywhere. I, I'm not giving anybody kappa. I've heard every lame reason. Just breaking apart and analyzing. Not that I want to give too credence to your ex-hairdresser's comments, but uh, I just want to point out the utter inconsistency of it. It, he's worried about fertility from the vaccine it, or inferti- uh, infertility from the vaccine, but he's not worried about infertility from getting COVID, which makes yes. no sense. If if you're worried, if you think this vaccine is going to make you infertile, why aren't you also worried that COVID, would, I mean, I've not seen any stories that says that the vaccine causes fertility problems that anybody, but maybe he, <laughs> he, you know, he saw something on a MAGA website or something and, you know, he believes whatever he sees, mm-hmm. but you follow what I'm saying? It's just, There's no logic or inconsistency uh, to the anti-vaxxers other than uh, distrust. And you know what? I'm going to link it to Chicago. Uh, And it's just just popped in my mind. I'm moving topics ahead of each other. But I just did this story, which I sent to you, about corruption in Chicago. And it's in the wake of the indictments last week of two aldermen, or one former alderman, uh, your good friend, Rick Minos. Just kidding. She's not a good friend of Romana. And uh, Patrick Daly Thompson of the 11th Ward. And the thing I I, I thought about it, uh, Romana, is that in Chicago, there's such an attitude of, like, I'm really smart. I'm one step ahead of everybody else. Like, people have this view that, like, it's a great con game out there. And if they could just stay one step ahead of everybody else— they'll make money, they'll, they'll beat the other guy. And that's a Chicago mentality. It gets a lot of these aldermen in trouble. They think they're invulnerable, and they're just so clever, they're going to get away with it. And it reminds me, of people conco- like you're a hairdresser, concocted some ex- excuse not to, well, I heard it. It causes infertility. I don't want that, so sorry. You know, it's like, what's the difference between that guy and, I don't know, Rick Munoz? taking money out of the uh, coffers of the independent. I'll just, I need a little money. I'll just take her for the independent, you know, caucus coffers. You see what I'm saying? Everybody thinks they're so smart. con the other guy? I'll Fox him. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. It's, it's, I, I, I don't understand it. Like I said, I, I, I do wonder, I try to be sensitive to some people's issues about not getting the vaccine, but don't get it. But yeah. I don't know. But then I don't know how you can. Well, speaking about the politicians, I don't know how you think you're really one step ahead of the game when you're using money that's supposed to be allocated for something else and you're taking it to go to lover's lane. Like you think that nobody's going to pay attention to that? I don't know. I, I w- I'm not saying I'm the sharpest tool in the shed all the time, but <laughs> I even you know. I even know that if I did that, I would probably get busted. That's just my two cents.
1: No, I, I, it's very a lot. Okay, now let's go and let, uh, flesh out uh, what Romano's alluding to. So, uh, yes, uh, Alderman Rick Minos, the former Alderman of the 22nd Ward, uh, was fought, fell on hard times, uh, apparently, allegedly, according uh, to uh, the feds. And uh, he used his position as chair of the Progressive Caucus of the Chicago City Council to dip into their uh their bank account and take money that was put there uh, as contributions from all the different aldermen who were in the progressive caucus to fund progressive caucus uh, things. And uh, he was just using for personal expenses, including Lever Lane. And I have a confession to make, Romana, and I'm kind of embarrassed to make this confession and you're already laughing at me, but so I'm reading my beloved Bright One Home Delivered, as always. And, of course, they have that detail about Lover's Lane because the Bright One couldn't resist that one. I didn't know what Lover's Lane was. So I had to Google it. Lover's Lane. <laughs> La- and then, you know, <laughs> you Google Lover's Lane. You get all these, like, ge- generic Lover's La- Well, that's where lovers go to make out. And uh, <laughs> so, I yes. was gonna
2: say, I was going to say, how do you not know what Lover's Lane was? I think they had ads for it in the reader all the time in the old days.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I didn't read all the ads in the reader. I, I try to just read the news stories in the reader. But, yeah, you're kind of embarrassed. Uh, ben, You didn't read The Lover's Lane. No, and then I heard <laughs> they had an extensive. They were in
2: your face. They were in your face. Yeah, uh,
1: they had an extensive array of lingerie, which I did not know. So maybe Rick's in the lingerie. I don't know. But, um, yeah, so uh, Rick, you know, and then so in my column, before we move on to the other subjects, more serious subjects, I uh, quote Romana, uh, tweaking a certain husband of hers and me uh, for palling around um, with uh, various politicians who have since been uh, indicted. And I had to point out that Mick and I did a show for uh, five years at the hideout first Tuesday. I still do it with Maya, but Mick's moved on. Anyway, three of our guests romana three of our guests have been indicted it's kind of embarrassing yeah. uh,
2: I, I i like i mentioned to mick how come all your boys end <laughs> up in trouble and I, yeah. I i think they were they weren't even just like one weren't they like guests like twice i, I could have sworn joe moreno was on their uh joe
1: moreno yes uh, by the way i resisted just so the record mick made me have these guests. It was always his idea. Just kidding. I'm just throwing me. He's not here to defend himself. Let's just throw him under the bus. No, Proco Joe is uh, Moreno, the first ward, who uh, is facing charges having to do with drunk driving. Uh, he uh, was a guest twice. Rick Munoz was a guest twice. Danny Solis was a guest once. Uh, Danny Solis was the one who wore the wire and Ed Burke. And Danny Sleese was on the show w- with Rick Minos, a twofer. They were on the stage together. And uh afterwards we made sure like they double trouble. Yeah, double trouble. They didn't they didn't take our wallets, so sorry, bad joke. Uh all right, let's uh, move on from the embarrassing um escapades of Mick Dumpke and Ben Jarofsky to talk about Kim Fox. And uh Romana for many years covered the criminal courts building uh at 26 um, and California, so she knows a thing or two about criminal justice in Cook County. Romana, we talked for many, many shows about Smollett Gate, Jesse Smollett and Kim Fox. And as I was saying to you earlier, it was a serious matter. But by the end, you and I were just so, it was so much, we had a laugh at it because it got so bizarre. All the attention fixated on it. I thought we were done with incompetence. The
2: case, by the way, still hasn't gone to trial. It was up earlier this week, the case, but.
1: Smollett Gate? I'm
2: just saying, yeah, it's still not done.
1: No, it's not done. You're right. Uh, but this, this current uh, matter of incompetence, and a good story and the bright one yesterday or two days ago by Matthew Hendricks, and I urge everybody to check it out, uh, about Kim Fox and how she's handled uh, Adam Toledo's shooting, I think eclipses um, Smollett Gate for incompetence and uh, concern. What's your, uh, why don't you give folks a little background on it and then uh, get into your, uh, your thoughts about
2: it. Yeah. So um, this week um, in the news, we learned that um, a top um, prosecutor in Kim Fox's office was um, forced to resign. Um, The Kim Fox's office said that, so there was this 20, this is regarding the shooting of Adam Toledo, the 13 year old boy who was shot and killed by a Chicago police officer in late March. So this young 13-year-old, this young 13, sorry, I don't have to say young 13, this 13-year-old was with a 21-year-old man at the time, and the 21-year-old was arrested. So at the 21-year-old's bond court hearing on April 10th, the um, assistant state's attorney, whose name is Jim Murphy, had read the proffer. The proffer is the allegations that prosecutors read in court against a uh, uh, a suspect. And so during the proffer of this 21-year-old man, uh, the prosecutor said that Adam Toledo had a gun in his hand and he was asked to drop the gun and he ended up being shot. Now, the prosecutor, what he said wasn't necessarily wrong, but he omitted to say that Adam Toledo had dropped his gun and had you know turned around and had his hands up in the air when he was shot because that's what we saw. And so this proffer was read in court on April 10th. And so everybody had reported for five days, it was in the news, and this is what, you know, the story everybody had was that Adam Toledo had a gun and that he was shot with a weapon in his hand. That's what it turned out, you know, most of the media was reporting, including the Sun Times. Then five days later, Kim Fox's office says, well, he was, you know, Jim, Jim the, the assistant state's attorney Murphy, Jim Murphy, wasn't, um, didn't have all the facts or she said that he misinformed himself. Then he gets placed on leave at some point. And then this week we found out that his superior, um, she was the first first assistant uh, state's attorney. Um, her name is, I think is Jennifer Coleman. I don't know if I got her first name right, but um, her last name Coleman. So she ended up um, uh, getting fired be or forced to resign. They didn't say forced to resign, but she resigned because they said that she didn't read the proffer beforehand and that there was two different departments in the state's attorney's office. One is the felony review, and the other one is this other investigative unit that has all the information that COPA gave. And so Kim Fox, you know, she gave interviews with the Chicago Tribune and the Sun-Times this week, and she said that both of these units, you know, the one unit, the felony review unit, had what police officers said, and the other unit had what, you know, COPA gave. And COPA is a police oversight agency, which had information, you know, probably about Adam Toledo not having a gun in his hand. And so she is saying that Coleman knew both about both the information from both of these. And then Kim Fox does not know what this one um, unit does because, you know, they're walled off from everybody else. Okay, fair point. But Kim Fox said that she's watched the video like two days later. And so my question is, why did not anyone from her office say, hey, there was a discrepancy? We're looking into it. I think it was three days after that, that we saw the video come out and they put out that statement on Jim Murphy. So I don't know, I think there's a lot of questions. And, and Kim Fox says that, you know, the day that the 21 year old who was with Adam Toledo was in bond court, no one alerted her to like, you know, read, you know, read the proffer and they should have, it was a weekend. She doesn't check her email that often. And, you know, you have to wonder, this is like a pretty big case. It's a 13 year old shot. Everybody in the city is keeping track of this and everybody's wondering what's on the video because I think, you know, the authorities didn't give us the video for several weeks. So I don't know. I just think it's a little, I think it's a little interesting that the state's attorney on the weekend wasn't paying attention to this or wasn't asking questions about this. I I, I think, I don't know. I, I think it's good to, you know, discuss these things but you just wonder like what was the state's attorney's office you know what was kim fox doing this during this whole time and she's saying you know she's claiming that she did, wasn't informed and you know assistant state's attorney coleman didn't give her information but i i just wonder like as a state's attorney wouldn't you be asking these questions when you know this case is up and that, that this is being said and then you know the video cut. you watch the video two days later and then it takes you guys three days to say something i don't know i i just I just think there's more to the story.
1: Every step of the way, and uh, in, in, in the rendition that you just told, a very good job of summing it up, but every step of the way, uh, it leaves me just scratching my head in disbelief. First of all, going back to what you said, this was, it's what they call a heater case. This was the, a very well publicized shooting uh that there were demonstrations regarding it's a very sensitive case where like in the post George Floyd uh era and law enforcement's relationship with uh black and uh, brown communities so we're supposedly in heightened awareness anytime there's a, sh- a police shooting and particularly in Chicago it's sensitive as you know Romana, because of Laquan McDonald they sat on the uh Kim Fox is only the state's attorney because her predecessor, Nita Alvarez did such a wretched job as did Rahm Emanuel, the mayor of handling that video and handling the investigation. And so it's just so unbelievable to me that the state's attorney would not demand herself to see the video. You you know what I'm like? Everybody in Chicago uh, in a position of like advocacy or opinion or like, I want to see the video. I want to see the video. When is the city going to release the video? Well, someone who can see the video is the Cook County State's Attorney, who has to make that very important, and difficult decision regarding whether to indict the police officers for shooting. You would think she would want to see the video. Do, do you get what I'm saying, Ramana? I. It just.
2: No, I agree. I, I know what you're saying. I agree with you. I, I would think that's why I said as, as a top prosecutor, I would think that you would be demanding for it instead of waiting back and waiting for someone to tell you what's happening. That's just that's what I I would think.
1: Yeah, it's a little frustrating.
2: And it's a hard job. I'm not I'm not saying, I'm not saying you know, being state's attorney is an easy job. It's a hard job. But I would just think with a case like that, you would be asking questions instead of waiting for people to tell you what's happening. That's just that's just the way I see it.
1: Well, it's it's going to muddy things uh, because the the original statement uh, in the proffer, as you pointed out uh, by that attorney Murphy, was that uh, the kid had a gun. Uh, so now the video shows that the kid didn't have a gun. So it just in some ways we talked about why people don't believe government. You got you know we were yeah. earlier. There's such disbelief. Well, this this could be Exhibit A when you have evidence. <laughs> You have video evidence and apparently nobody has looked at the video.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think Jim Jim Murphy did say that he did see one video, but I don't think he got a hold of all the video because, you know, there was different angles. And so, um, you know, I think he did, I think he did see video, but did he see all the video? No. And, um, the thing is, um, Jim Murphy did get his job back by the way, but it was this assistant, the other assistant state attorney, Jennifer Coleman, who, um, took the hit for this.
1: Uh, well, some, yeah, generally speaking, it'll be some uh, lower uh, down the totem pole employee takes the hit uh, to protect, uh, in this case, Kim Fox. All right, uh, let's move on outside of Chicago. I got to get your thoughts. I've been talking a lot about it this week about Liz Cheney, the congresswoman from Wyoming, a daughter of uh, former Vice President uh, Dick Cheney, uh, in a sign of how Donald Trump and MAGA have seized control of the Republican Party. Uh, She is about to lose her leadership position in Congress as uh, in the Republican caucus because she refuses to go along with Donald Trump's assertion that he won an election that he, in fact, lost. (laughs) Donald Trump is saying, uh, swearing up and down, that the sun uh, rises in the West and sets in the East. And he's demanding that all Republicans stick to that stipulation. And apparently they are. They go, yeah, Ben, the sun rises in the West. I saw it. Uh, and so Liz Cheney's got to, got to get punished um, for uh, going against the grain here. Romana, uh, I think this is a form of insanity. What's your thoughts about this?
2: I I, I probably have to agree with you. I understand didn't even say probably. I do agree with you. I mean, she uh, from what I've read, Liz Cheney tweeted something about the election not being stolen. And then maybe a day later, the House Minority Leader, Kevin McCarthy, Is like you know, you know, throwing out stuff about her not being fit for a leadership position, you know, and then then Liz Cheney has that column in the Washington Post where she calls out Donald Trump, and you know now they want to put this like this this woman the Elise Stefanik is that her name how you pronounce it who's you know uh she's a she's a congresswoman from New York they want to take make her take over um. Liz Cheney's, like, you know, position, like, I think she's the num Liz Cheney's the number three Democrat, I mean, the Republican. And so, um, yeah, I, I just think, and then this woman is basically, I think she started off as a moderate, and then she became like a Trumpster. So uh, it, it's, it, and then she, she I think this woman, um, this Congresswoman yesterday had, you know, basically spoken out against Liz Cheney yesterday, too. She made some comments yesterday. I think uh, Kevin McCarthy, the latest is, is like, oh, no, it has something to do with Donald Trump. I just, I just don't think that we, you know, the Republicans don't really feel that Liz Cheney can do her job. It's kind of suspicious, the timing of, you know, all this coming out. So I don't know. I just think it must be really great to be Donald Trump. You don't have to be that bright. And you don't really have to have that many credentials. And this, you know, the, the there's two parties in the United States and one party. It's like you're not even president anymore and they still want to pledge allegiance to you. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what what Donald what magic pills Donald Trump ha, you know, has given this group of people. But they definitely like they've drunk the Kool-Aid. It sounds like, you know, he's given them Kool-Aid. It's like Jonestown, but Trump's town. And they basically have drunk the Kool-Aid. And it doesn't matter what he says. they will just go and do whatever he says. They're kind of like zombies. It's, it's 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 just it's just really interesting. And, you know, people who, you know, who never would have tolerated any of this stuff if this was a Democrat that are tolerating all this stuff from Donald Trump. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's insanity like you said.
1: Yeah, it um that last point uh the tolerance they have for Donald Trump that they wouldn't put up with in two seconds for Democrats is a really telling point. And I I, I don't understand. I do understand, but I don't understand. The adoration the MAGA has for Donald Trump. And the longer it lasts, the more unbelievable it is to me. I can't think of anything virtuous that Donald Trump has done in his entire life at all that would warrant such <laughs> love and it. adulation.
2: <laughs> you know, That's what I said. He doesn't have to do anything and everybody loves him. And it's just it's it's kinda like a guru when you watch like these documentaries on like these Indian gurus. They just like I don't know there was I don't know if you saw that one documentary that came out on Netflix. I thought it was like Old Countries or something. I don't know. But it was about this guru who came and it was in Oregon. And it's just like, what you know, He whatever he did, they would do whatever he did. And then he took a vow of silence for two years. I'm like, the guy's not saying anything, but they still want to follow him. You know, it's just like, it's so easy to dupe some people. So that's what I feel like the Republican Party has become like, they're like, Donald Trump is this cult leader who doesn't have to say anything intelligent, you know, or he just opens his mouth and they're like, wow, you know, he'll say something like, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> they're acting like, you know, he'll say something so basic. And they'll be like starry eyed. And so it's like, come on. I mean, what are what are we supposed to what are we supposed to think? There's 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 just something wrong with people. And these are all like elected officials. They're not like random people who are just like in love with Trump because of the things he says and, you know, how he upholds white supremacy. But I don't know, maybe these group, maybe these politicians are just scared because their base is basically in love with Donald Trump. And they're like, we have to, like, pretend that we like this guy. But I don't know. I I would think that, you know, at some point, if you. You know a lot of these Republicans talk about how country they put the country first above all everything else and they talk about how patriotic they are compared to the Democrats but what kind of patriotism is this when you're putting up this guy who doesn't even care about the country and 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 they're putting they're putting him on a pedestal and he's and, and they're not caring about the country so I don't know
1: No I uh it's uh yeah just take a look at why? Why are these uh, elected officials, uh, as you just pointed out, just bowing down uh, to Donald Trump? Because they see where their voters are, and yeah. and so uh, they're looking at Liz Cheney as a classic example. Here is Liz Cheney, uh, who. Before all this went down, was one of the fastest rising stars in the Republican Party. She's the daughter of Dick Cheney, a former Vice President of the United States, uh, who was widely revered and admired by Republicans when he was the Vice President. Uh, so she has she comes from Republican stock, and now they're like, "Oh, you deviated from the Guru, the Messiah. You're out." and we're just going to throw you out of office no loyalty to her at all. You know, uh, by the way, I, I tease myself for praising Liz Cheney. I've been praising her a couple times this week because I read her column that you alluded to in the Washington post. And I found myself agreeing with Liz Cheney. I never thought those words would escape my mouth. You know, that Cheney makes a good point. It's kind of strange bedfellows, uh, that this, uh, uh, Trump administration or this uh, Trump mania has emerged. You've, uh, do you do you share my sense of uh, the Cheney's?
2: Yes, I do. I, I mean, I don't know if I'm I'm a fan of Liz Cheney, but I think a lot of people who probably don't agree with their politics are like she's making sense in this situation. You know, I mean, you know, people probably agree with like sixty seventy percent of what she's written in her column, and they probably agreed. You know, we all agree with that tweet that the election wasn't stolen. So. Yeah, things have been stranger. Everybody puts George Bush on a pedestal now, too. So, it, it, <laughs> I, I, me. I mean, I'm not saying I do. Yeah. I'm not saying you do.
1: But. And I don't put old man Cheney on a pedestal either, by the way. Let's, let's, let's get that oh, I know clear. You don't. I know you don't. And by the way, in her column, which I dutifully read her Washington Post column, and I'm going, yes, I agree, I agree. Then at the end, she has to throw some red meat uh, to... MAGA to show that she's really a Republican, she throws in this thing about radical wokeness. I'm like, oh God, here we go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what would the Republicans do Ramana without woke? Just the concept of woke, which.
2: Yeah, I know. It's just really funny. It's funny listening to Republicans say the word woke. So that yeah. makes me laugh just when they're talking about woke and cancel culture.
1: Yeah, woke and cancel culture, and uh, you have to prove like a lot, like Bill Maher's of the world. They got to prove how open minded they are by blasting woke. This <laughs> is, I don't know, it's an easy cheap shot. All right, let's close with uh, Ramona's recommendations. Uh, you saw the um, the Academy Award winning short film, uh, Two Distinct uh-huh. uh, Strangers, and you also saw the Academy Award winning uh, documentary. The Octopus movie, I forget. I forget my friend, the Octopus. Yeah,
2: my <laughs> Octopus <activist> thought- teacher.
1: <laughs> Go ahead. Your thoughts on both?
2: Okay, so I saw. Is it two distinct strangers? That's that's. I saw that short. Um, you told me about it. It's good. It, it, it. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was excellent, but it made a good point about you know it's kind of like Groundhog Day, and it. And I will talk a little bit about that, but it. Um, it shows this African American man kind of waking up in the same situation and every day something happens to him, you can guess what, um, for those, I don't want to give everything away to those who haven't watched it yet. It's a really short film. It's about 25 to 25 minutes to half an hour long. And, um, it's really good. But then right after I watched it, I, I Googled it. And then I saw that this woman actually made a short film on this before. And so she said her idea was stolen. It was, it's called Groundhog Day for a black man, I think. And so there was controversy surrounding that because she said that when that short film came out, the filmmakers who made the, this film had reached out to her and they said they were going to give her credit and then they ended up you know, ha- making this short film that gets an Oscar and she did not get any credit. So she had a TikTok a few days ago. I think it was on TikTok where she talked about how this was stolen from her. So it, it, it has a little controversy in it, but it's, 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 it's interesting. Like I said, it was good. I don't know if it was like super excellent, but it was definitely good. And then I saw I saw people talking about my octopus teacher actually before it won the Academy Award. And people were saying how they were crying when they saw it. <laughs> I didn't cry, I admit, I didn't cry. Um, but but it's very like cinema, the cinematography is just awesome. It's about this guy who's a filmmaker and he's also a deep what do you call him a deep sea diver, even though he's in the Atlantic Ocean. But he he like he died, you know, he his his life was he was kind of felt he was feeling burned out. And then, you know, he's like a swimmer and then he just starts swimming and, you know, he has his camera and then he kind of be, I don't want to say be friends, but he becomes close to this octopus and the octopus kind of knows who he is and they kind of create a bond. And it's really sad. And octopus, is it octopi? I think it's, I think it's, I don't know what the plural is, <laughs> but, but they have a very um, short life. They have a year long, they live for about a year. So he basically filmed this octopus, this one octopus for about a year. And then he kind of talks about life in it and then, you know, you know, him watching, you know, the octopus and he tried not, you know, the octopus is obviously being pursued by sharks, you know, the animal world, you know, everybody's pursuing each other to eat. And so he never tried to interfere, but he watched this octopus being chased by sharks and, and all this (laughs) stuff happened to her and then. He called it a her. So then, and then he, you know, the octopus, like, you know, uses all these interesting things to hide herself. So it, it is definitely very, like, interesting. It's very interesting. I didn't cry, though. I have to admit I didn't cry. But it was good. I, I don't know if you watched it yet.
1: Oh, it, yeah. I saw it, a uh, it months ago. My wife. Did you cry? You know, I can't remember. I mean, I, it's not <laughs> that I'm ashamed to say I cried. Because, you know, I wept like a baby yeah, at the you, Sophia I, Loren movie. Uh, yes. and, um, and then you
2: cried at the Sophie's
1: or the. Oh, I the love that one. movie. Not Sophie's.
2: <laughs> <laughs> one about the, so, uh, the jazz. The
1: Sylvie's love.
2: Sylvie's love.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that movie. Oh guy Ramada made fun of me so much. Ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but uh, yeah, so it's not that I'm a, a, a embarrassed to say I cry. I just don't remember. It was, I saw it a while yeah. ago and my wife was more into it than I was. And I, I kept thinking like the guy, what about his family? He's talking about, oh, I'm bonding with this octopi or octopus or whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> what about your kids? Well, you I know?
2: Think, so then I, I, he had this son. I So I Googled about him afterwards. And he has a son from a previous marriage, and he's married to actually an Indian woman. I looked it up, and she's also like, does documentaries. But he didn't say anything about, yeah, I thought I, I wanted to know a little bit more about his life because he talked about how he felt like he, you know, he was so burned out. He couldn't really give his energy to his son. And then they kind of show him and his son at the end, and then they see a little octopus at the end, and the son catches <laughs> it. But yeah, I'd like, to know, I'd like to know more about his life too.
0: <laughs> but I, uh... I
2: think the point was that gave him like a new you know, a new perspective on life and what was important. I think that's yeah. what the, the moral of the story was. And I, I am watching the Kate Winslet um, show on HBO, which I recommend. I know I, I mentioned it before. Um, uh, it's called mayor of, of East town. I think mm-hmm. it's like based in Philadelphia. I think I could be wrong. I, I, I it's like a, an, one episode a week and I didn't watch last week. So I, I do recommend it. I know you're wait, waiting to binge when it all all comes down there's only one once a week so i recommend that one too if anybody has hbo
1: well uh, speaking of which i finally uh, got around to watching a plot against america you talked you had talked about that months ago it's yeah. a uh, hbo right. series uh, i if any anybody out there hasn't seen it i rec i can't recommend it enough uh so many parallels it's a fictitious uh, a dystopian story about uh, what happens uh, when uh, FDR lost an election. He didn't lose an election, but they, it's fictitious, okay? Uh, so it's a horror mo- movie of sorts, and uh, FDR loses the movie to Charles Lindbergh, and Lindbergh uh, has an alliance with Hitler, and the United States in 1940 tilts toward uh being an ally with Hitler as opposed to battling Germany and uh, pretty frightening stuff and a lot of parallels. Ramon, I want to do a whole show about it. A lot of parallels to the Trump era, uh, particularly with the Jewish oh, yeah. leaders sure. who, who are uh, start defending uh, Lindbergh and try to sell Lindbergh uh, to their community. We really remind me in many ways of some of the uh, black leaders in our country today who are selling Trump and Trumpism. Uh, to the black community or allowing themselves to be used to justify uh, Trump's policies to white people. And really a lot of parallels. I got to give Philip Roth a lot of love and credit for this. He wrote it in 2004, Romana, 12 years before Trump. And it's as though he saw what Trump was going to um, do to this country. Uh, So anyway, that's what I've been watching. And I urge everybody to check it out. Uh, Romana thanks so much for taking the time and um, uh, by the time the next time you're on the show I, I think I'll be watching what's it Mayor Town I keep calling it Mayor Town but I'll be that's on my list of things to watch and Mayor I will watch of I
2: think it's Mayor, of Mayor of East Town
1: and Billy Crystal's new movie I'm probably going to watch and I'll anyway. watch
2: the Tina Turner documentary
1: yes you must watch Tina Turner. All right, uh, there you go. That's your homework assignment for the next time you're on the show. All right, that's the great Ramana Hussein from the Chicago Sun Times, editor, columnist, the regular on the Ben Jarofsky show. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.